Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the fourth pick in the NFL draft, the New York Jets select Speech. It's Garrett Wilson. We are gathered here today to honor the fallen memory of what all Jets fans know as the Debo role. For two years now, Jets have been trying to pencil in wide receivers to play this Debo-like role in their own version of the Kyle Shanahan offense. And Debo Samuel came out today and said, I don't even want to play this role anymore. And because that's how taxing it is. And hopefully this is the end of seeing those terms on Jets Twitter. But on a much lighter note, welcome back to draft season. Another wide receiver. I sent Jets Twitter into a tizzy. We are single digit days away from the draft. Finally, I just I just wanted to get here. You want to know who the picks are? KT has gone from we lost the Jaguars game. We're not going to get him. So maybe we'll get him at 10 to now he's back to going two to the Lions. And I, I just I just want to know who the guys are getting. So I know we put a lot of time in this draft season. I know we're all excited for next Thursday. So, Dylan, it's going to be your – I know it's going to be your first draft night for a draft season. How are you feeling? The nerves? How are the nerves? You know, I'm feeling good. No nerves. Very relaxed, feeling calm, feeling good. However, I think tonight the fan base is going to fall out of favor with me a little bit because I'm not going to be too kind to some of uh, the treats they left us. So that's just about the gist of it tonight. So this is just my fair warning for when Joe Horning and the rest of the fan base come at me later tonight on Twitter – Well when you guys are all listening to this uh to slander me this is just why because i'm warning you that i'm gonna be a little harsh today gotcha gotcha i know so we gotta know don't bring the takes tonight james uh i mean how are you doing i know the the jets are talking about trading draft capital which you hate doing because all you want to do is accrue draft capital as the study does intend so how are you where are your thoughts at the moment i'm doing all right i, I just want to let you know i'm currently fighting through debilitating illness to be bringing you this podcast tonight. I think the new COVID variant is somewhere incubating in me right now. Um, but, you know, I had to make it. There was no way I wasn't making it for this podcast. Okay, glad to know that this podcast is definitely going to have a, have a uh, news warning on it. So that's fantastic. Joe, how are you? I'm doing well, Meigs. I'm pumped for this episode. We're going to get into the mailbag and kind of uh, converse with our listeners through the pod. And I just want to first, I want to thank the listeners, you know, just for sticking with us for this entire season. It's been awesome giving them some good draft talks and spicy takes and just overall having a good time. So 
hopefully we continue and um, some of the guys that we liked show up uh, on draft day for the Jets. Exactly. But I uh, know, speak of that draft mailbag, I know, Joe, you've been digging through questions. You have a bunch of us first night. So why don't you take it away? Yeah. All the credit to this episode goes to one of our listeners, the invisible man at Kay Fernellis. Kevin is definitely the impetus or force behind this mailbag. We chatted it up in the DM and he recommended bringing back the mailbag. And I think he's right. This is a great way, like I said, to communicate with our listeners. So I'm glad we're doing it again and we'll do more of it in the future for sure. And we're dedicating this episode to you, Kevin. So I hope you like it. Moving on to the questions, you know, Meigs, you kind of touched on it a little bit in the beginning. Every time a wide receiver is potentially available or tweets out something cryptic, we are sucked back into the trade market. And that's where we are right now with all of the Debo talk. If we're looking for someone in that Debo role, even though he doesn't want to do it, who better than Debo Samuel himself? So our first question coming from one of our favorite listeners, Joe Horning is definitely touching on this. Joe asks, what's the approach at four and 10 if JD sends 35 and 38 for a veteran wide receiver? Best case scenario, worst case scenario, trade back potentially. What do you think, Meeks? Um, I just want to just harp on tra- like trade trading back is awesome. It's like one of these like things in a vacuum that's fantastic. But you know, to trade back, you have to have someone willing to trade up. So I do think you would try to look to trade out of 10 as best you could. But if no one wants to come up, you're kind of just really stuck there. So I do think that's the snare that should be explored for 10 because I think everyone wants to take the best player at four, trade those second round picks for this wide receiver, say it's Debo, and then trade back 10, try to get some of those assets back. But just for the hypothetical of the best and worst case scenario, I'm just going to leave that alone because, you know, it's a little boring just when you're talking about which these patches could be because everything's hypothetical. But for me, um, I think the best case scenario uh, with having a good wide receiver, if Iki's on the board, I think it's Iki Aquanu. I do. I The whole reason I don't want to take Iki Aquanu is because I don't want to have to choose between wide receiver and edge. And in this best case scenario, I don't have to. I get a veteran wide receiver who I know is going to be a top, top player with Elijah Moore, with Corey Davis, with Iki Aquanu, like the Becton stuff. Honestly, it's just a headache. I really don't have any interest in dealing with the will he, won't he. If you can look to move him for a package that's similar to what you get Debo for, fantastic. Play Iki Aquanu at right tackle, live long and prosper. And 10, Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson, I do think, is a little rich at four, and people like to throw around his like pass rush win rates. And is he really that good? Yeah, I think Jermaine Johnson's that good. I think he's a very high floor player. I think his run defense is very, very at the top of this class. I think his pass rush moves, he has a very good arsenal. I really like his burst and his explosiveness showed by his 10-yard split, which is what you need in this defense. And those are basically my best case. Worst case scenario for me um, is just like, just falling in love with Kyle Hamilton at 10 and just using that luxury picks on the secondary. I'd much rather use that on a corner. If you're going to go secondary at 10, if that's your option. So Meeks, you're telling me that at pick four, if it's between Kayvon Thibodeau and Icky Aquanu, you're going sticky Icky. I don't think there's a scenario really where that's possible, like that they both be on the board. And if that, I'm just saying what my best case would be, but if so, I would probably still lean KT just because, if I can get that and you can sell me on KT and if Stingley's there at 10, like, is there really a better scenario than that? Probably not. But uh, I just wanted to give a nice variance and just really just not have to worry about all the offensive tackle 
next year and just stop talking about taking offensive linemen in the first round for hopefully the foreseeable future. Equanu at four and Jermaine Johnson at 10. Uh, I think you're speaking my language, Meeks. What do you think, Dylan? How do you feel about it? So I think in this situation, the best case would probably be trading back from either four or 10. Uh, obviously going to appease James's study here, but the reality is if you're going to give up the value in 35 and 38, you should recoup it in some capacity and trying to trade out of 10 or four, I think would be ideal in that regard. So I think best case is you trade out of one of the two slots. And if so, in this hypothetical, I really don't think anybody's going to try to trade up to four, but if it's you're staying at four and KT goes three, then honestly, I don't think Jermaine Johnson has, I've gotten to a point where Jermaine Johnson is not too rich for my blood at four. I'm okay if they take him at four. Um, I'm not really, I, I'll be okay if they take a Quanu, but I'm not going to be ecstatic. I think we really need to upgrade at edge, whether it's Jermaine or whether it's Kayvon. I think it's, I'm pretty adamant in setting that at this point. So I would go an edge at four. Um, and then if in this case you have Debo or another wide receiver that comes out of nowhere in the next couple of days that has an issue and wants to get traded, then uh, I think you trade back from 10. And if you can't, then I think at that point you go uh, with either a cornerback, which I can't really see them doing, or maybe you go with a offensive lineman at that point, And then you go offensive line with a cross or if he's there or you go high and go penning and make a couple people freak Oof. out but, that is a worst case scenario dylan right there yeah so, i think i'm going to touch on that when i go but yeah but that's my best case is some capacity of that and worst case is they end up with going uh i don't even know they go a quanu at four and go uh another position i they go corner at 10 and don't even touch edge or at edge at all in the first. And I think that would be my most, that's my worst case scenarios. If they don't get an edge rusher in the first round of the draft, I think I'm going to be pretty upset come when we recap the first round. So, so James, you look like you were doing a lot of nodding when Dylan was talking. So are you feeling it? Look, I mean, I'll just make three points. I'll just answer Joe's question. Um, I think the approach at four and 10, if you trade for a receiver is that you get to be flexible and maximize value because you're not shoehorned into edge wide receiver. I think best case scenario is probably Kayvon Thibodeau and Derek Stingley. I doubt Stingley falls though the 10. So I think realistic best case scenario is KT and trade down at 10. And worst case scenario for me would probably be a non Kayvon edge pick at four. And I'm not really sure at 10, but I don't really like the idea of staying at 10, to be honest. So that would be my answer. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I think the best case scenario for me is a trade back, right? Maybe with the Saints, get three first round picks overall. And then I'd love a draft of Jermaine Johnson at 10 if he was there, Dax Hill and Tyler Lindenbaugh maybe. I would probably cry of joy if that happened. That's definitely the makings of a five eggplant draft, that's for sure. And I just want to briefly apologize to the Linderbaum Hive for not selecting him last week when Dylan posed the question between him and Dax Hill at 19. I was kind of caught up in my Dax love, and I'm very sorry. After the pod, I actually felt like I betrayed a family member. Uh, but don't worry, the Linderbaum Hive is still alive and well in the Bellic household for sure. But I think the best case scenario, if they stay at four and 10, is Kayvon Thibodeau at four. And I could get behind multiple picks at 10. Gardner, again, if he's there. Stingley. Even Hamilton. I mean, if they're going to be giving up those two no. second round picks, I think they still have a really a big need at single high. And I think you can make a case for Hamilton there for sure. I think that that actually does make some sense. I don't know if it's the direction I would go, but I would completely understand if Joe Douglas did it. And listen, I'm still open to taking another wide receiver there. You know, draft Drake London, right? 
eventually move on from Davis. And in 2023, a wide receiver room of Debo, London, and Elijah Moore would be pretty sick. I'd love that, to put it mildly. This is also a spot where, with bringing in Debo, I'd be more open to drafting Jamison Williams and let him pretty much redshirt for 2022 and hit the ground running in 2023. That would be pretty exciting. I know I've been critical of the Jets bringing in Jamison Williams with a young and developing quarterback and him potentially being on a redshirt season. But with Debo in tow, I'm feeling much better about it. Worst case scenario, I don't really have one. I feel like I could make sense of any pick that was taken by Joe Douglas and his crew. But if I had to pick, I'd say any draft with Trevor Penning or Trevon Walker would be the least appealing to me. I mean, 100%. Moving on to number two, it's kind of related to this as well. And this is from Jake Berkowitz at Jake State Farm 51. If they somehow swing a trade for a receiver before the draft and hold on to 10, he's asking for a specific prospect. How would you guys feel about Devin Lloyd at 10? I'll take this first. Uh, I love Devin Lloyd. I think he's the best linebacker in the draft. I think he's the one, one, he's a guy you take in the first round. Um, at 10, it's incredibly rich, especially when you look at the landscape of what the linebackers in this class are looking like. I think if you set the over-under at linebackers taken in the first round, I think it would be one and a half, and I would take the under. I think there's a very good shot that N'Kobe Dean could fall to 35. I feel very confident that Christian Harris or and Chad Muma will be there at 38. And I just think when you're looking at the value perspective of just linebackers, you can get on day two of the draft. Like Devin Lloyd is a good player. I feel very confident in him in the first round. I just don't think that the drop off from him to the next, for that second, third tier of linebackers is gargantuan. And I do think it's just a reach in that regard. Dylan, you've been a big fan of Devin Lloyd. I think you actually mocked him to the Jets in our mock draft pod we did a while back. So how are you feeling about it? So I played devil's advocate in the last scenario, but the reality is I don't think we end up trading for a veteran receiver. I really don't. I mean, I know the, that's, that's why I think I'm going to piss off the fan base tonight, but I'm sorry. I don't think the Debo dream happens. I wouldn't, I don't think we're ready to have a star receiver or a star player at this point on this roster. I think we need to prove ourselves a little more. And why would he want to play here at this point? So I wrote a whole article about that and I still stand by my belief in that regard, but say they trade for a receiver, him, AJ Brown, someone else. Um, I'd be ecstatic about Devin Lloyd. I mean, he would be one of those guys. That's kind of why I waited on it. He'd be someone I'd be happy about at 10. I think you add him and you have KT or him and Jermaine. I'm very happy with that defensive overhaul. And then you add a secondary piece in the third round or something. I think that's a fantastic draft defensively. So I'd be very happy with Devin Lloyd coming in here. I think he does a lot and can add a lot to this team. And him and Mosley would wreck a lot of havoc for Robert Sala. I'm pretty sure I know where you stand on this, James, but you know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of this. Um, it does feel like a luxury pick to me. Um, we, you know, I don't think linebacker makes a lot of sense at, at 10, to be honest. I think edge wide receiver are the biggest needs. And, uh, I don't know. I'm just overall, like I'm not a big Devin Lloyd guy. So it's hard for me to get behind it. Yeah. I'm kind of with you, uh, Meigs, you and James, you know, I'm not a big proponent of taking a linebacker in round one, unless they're a unicorn. And as much as I like Lloyd, I don't see him that way. Some of the best linebackers in the league, as you mentioned, were found on day two or day three, including Darius Leonard, Fred Warner, and even Salah selecting Drake Greenlaw in round five, which is one of the more underrated linebackers in the NFL. I personally rather have a guy like Chad Muma in round two or three than Lloyd in round one. As much as I love his game, I think day two or three is the time to attack linebacker in today's NFL. That said, if the Jets did it, 
I wouldn't complain at all. Devin Lloyd is a fantastic player. And if the Jets love him enough to take him there, I'd support the move 100%. So with that, I kind of, in some ways, do agree with Dylan. Moving on to question number three, and this is by the invisible man himself, the one who is the, the force or the impetus behind this great mailbag thing that we're doing today. And his question is, and I know this one's going to get a little spicy between us, I think, me and you, Meeks, but his question is, Drake London is considered the best receiver for Zach, but wouldn't a guy like Garrett Wilson be more advantageous? I guess I'm wondering, in your opinion, does Wilson's route running supersede London's 50-50 catchability? I'm going to start with you, James, actually, because I went with the other guys a couple of times first. So what, what do you think? Because I know, I know you and I are pretty much on the, in the London hive big time. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's hard for me to, to answer this question from like a normative perspective of like, you know, what ideally should they be prioritizing when in reality, like, I feel like it's pretty kind of dry that Douglas comes from the philosophy that you need a wide receiving core that is built out with varying skill sets, like a basketball team. And so for me, like, I think Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson is a redundant skill set. And, you know, regardless of like whether, you know, I, I like Garrett Wilson a lot and I liked him throughout the process, but the question isn't like, you know, it shouldn't be about what do we think? It should be about like, what do we think they think? And I think that they want differing body types and skill sets. And that points to Drake London, not Garrett Wilson. I couldn't agree more, James. I know Meeks is dying to, uh, to touch on this. So Meeks, what's going on? Give me some fire here. I don't know if this is just me. Like why you take Drake London at 10 is not for his 50-50 ball skills. In my opinion, that's really not like why I like Drake London, the player. And I feel like we're painting the picture of, Garrett Wilson's route running ability versus Drake London's 50 50 ability. When in reality, like Drake London's route running ability, I think is underrated, just like Garrett Wilson's 50 50 ball skills are underrated for a smaller receiver. Who I think the really thing that people need to realize with Garrett Wilson is he's 5'11 and three quarters, but he has 32 inch arms, he has 10 inch hands, he's a pretty good vertical. And I don't think that he's a repetitive skill set because what he does in the air. At the, at the catch point is just not something that Elijah Moore can do as much as I do love Elijah Moore. That's just not in his bag, as they say. So I don't think that skill set's redundant. I just think Garrett Wilson's a guy you know is going to hit the ground running, and he I know he can play X. I know he can play Z. I know you can put him in the slot. I think he fits very well in this offense. I know he's a guy who has the yak that this offense needs to make Zach's life easier. And that I just – like Garrett Wilson's my kind of receiver. These are the guys I trend – towards i'm not really like i was never a big like guy who loved the traditional x's those ball winning types like like during michael thomas's heyday of just that big slot who's just always gets open and always has strong hands and has good yak like i do like michael thomas i respect his game but like i just i like the stefan Diggs of the world i like the justin jeffersons of the world and that's really just i think a flavor thing and this is why i think garrett wilson versus drake london really is and if they think that they need the big power forward, as James talks about, to have that varying skill set, and they just want the body type, and you think Drake London gives you more as a blocker because that's what you're going to need as wide receiver to block, I completely understand that. But I don't really think that these skill sets are all that different. Meigs, man, you're really kind of building a case for both players. I wasn't expecting that. I thought you were going to go heavy on Wilson right here. But I will say that, that I do agree a little bit with James and the fact that they do have a bit of a redundant skill set. I do also agree with you that Wilson is a better contested catch guy. So it's, he is going to bring an element to the game that maybe Elijah Moore hasn't. So I understand that as well. But Dylan, I'm curious what you think, man. What, what's going on? 
Yeah, I actually think I'm going to side a little bit with Meigs here. I don't, I'm not necessarily as overly, oh, Drake London, because I've been in his group with you for a while now, Joe, even before James was. I've been very much on the Drake London team. And if I had to make the choice, I would still take Drake London. But I think this whole notion that Garrett Wilson and even Jahan Dotson and some of these other smaller receivers in this class can't catch the 50 50 ball is kind of just an old notion that needs to go get away with because they do catch 50 50 ball and they do it fairly well obviously I mean you make the basketball player analogy obviously Drake London in that regard has the advantage somebody like Traylon Burks they have that advantage but I don't think this is something where one thing superseding the other I think it is as you said Meeks it's a subjective thing it's about taste and I think Garrett Wilson's a fantastic route runner and Drake London for a young quarterback who's going to make errant throws and throw those 50 50 balls maybe he fits his ideal that way so I really do think it's going to be based on what Joe Douglas thinks that Zach Wilson needs and I think that might even be a Jamison Williams at this point because he might think that Zach's best fit with someone who can stretch the field better than anybody else in this class so I I really do think it comes down to what he needs and I think in this regard it's going to be the trait or something that's sets them aside. And I don't think that the 50, 50 catchability or the route running is going to be the thing that supersedes one way or another for either of these receivers and what works best with Zach. Yeah. Let me answer this question kind of like directly to Kevin, just cause you know, I want to, I do want to touch on the route running and all that stuff. You know, first, I don't think Garrett Wilson is a much better route runner than London. Maybe he gets a slight edge, but they're in the same tier. In my opinion, London is really being underappreciated in this regard. I'm glad you said that Meeks. He has the head fakes, the footwork, and he knows how to attack and create leverage. He is a very good route runner, especially in that short to intermediate area. So just to answer the question, I don't, I don't think there is anything that Garrett Wilson does on the field that would be more advantageous to this point where I would take him over London for Zach Wilson. London and Zach are really a perfect match. And London is a perfect match for this offense too. Not only is he a 50-50 guy, like we mentioned a million times, but like I said so many times, this dude is so dirty over the middle of the field and is a bona fide yak monster. Plus, he's a significantly better blocker and physically superior to Garrett Wilson as well. And listen, I know people aren't going to like this and we could talk all we want about separation, but Drake is better versus press coverage too. I mean, this is just a fact. He's being way underrated in that regard. So I love Garrett Wilson. And if, if the Jets did take him, I would applaud the pick. He's my wide receiver too. But I'm starting to see Drake London kind of and putting a gap between him and some of the other wide receivers. He's a complete prospect and he does everything that Zach Wilson does best. I know, Meeks, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the Bills offense, right? And how they brought in all these separators, right? For Josh Allen. I thought a little bit about that. And what I think they really did for Josh Allen is that they just brought wide receivers in that catered to his playing style. And yeah, Josh Allen has this big arm, but what Josh Allen really loves to do is to hit those crossers over the middle. So they got him those wide receivers who can do that. So when you're looking at Zach Wilson and you're looking at this offense, they need to find a wide receiver that caters to his style as well. And there is no better player in this draft than Drake London. 100%. Do you want to touch on that at all, Meeks? Or? Um, no, I, I'm actually very happy you brought up the Bills in for another point that I'll make, that I just made this point that the Jets, they keep talking about how Drake London gives them, like they need like that big body to complete their basketball team. Tall's Bills wide receiver is Gabe Davis, and he's 6'2". You don't need this hulking body to have that kind of balance in your wide receiver core. I think many would agree the Bills have one of the better wide receiver cores in the NFL. And I do think that you can get that varying skill set in your basketball team can just doesn't have to be the stereotypical 
six three, six foot, five ten guys, and that's why I'm really happy you brought them up. But I do, I do understand your point with trying to cater to Zach, and I think the big reason, like Josh Allen, was just good because those guys got open and they got open, and then he could see it, so he didn't have to worry about really anticipation. Because I think the biggest step Josh Allen's really made is as the as the anticipatory thrower than just in regards to just accuracy. And I think that's what they were trying to really cater to guys who he didn't really have to worry about that until he could really coach him till that got better. And then with Zach, yeah, you want to give him a guy that always has a chance. He's always going to trust his guys to make plays. I mean, he threw a freaking jump ball to our like swing tackle last year. And so I completely understand why people think Drake London is the best fit for that. And Drake London 10 is a perfectly accessible pick in my opinion. And I think it's one that's going to happen. I really hope it happens. And I'm glad that you're starting to really love yourself some London. Um, As far as the bills too, and how, you know, these guys maybe, and we touched on it being maybe a little bit better at separating. I did touch on a little bit with Drake London. I think he really is an underappreciated separator, especially versus press. Now I'd say Garrett Wilson is a little bit better versus off coverage, you know, and so he's kind of has a little bit more of that athleticism to kind of like, you know, give you a little double move and take you vertical, you know? So if somebody's playing off against Drake London, you know, he doesn't really have that kind of extra speed to sometimes take the top off the defense against a cornerback. But I feel like Drake London really knows how to navigate the field. You could just throw him a back shoulder in those situations, which is another pass that Zach Wilson absolutely loves. So I feel like there's just so many things that Drake can do that will just mesh so well with what Zach Wilson did well at, at BYU. And I think, again, like he is the perfect fit for this team. And, and, and as far as like separating for the people out there who are still kind of in the camp of like Drake London doesn't know how to separate. He does. He definitely achieves NFL separation. And listen, football is played in tight spaces. Nobody makes plays in tight spaces like Drake London. He is the king of making plays in tight spaces. So I feel like him in this offense would be absolutely amazing, but it's also an offense that does scheme players open as well. So maybe the separation to some degree isn't as, or shouldn't be as coveted as is for maybe in another system. Um, but I don't mind. Yeah, Joe, if you, if you don't mind, if I take over the podcast yeah. for a second, before we get to the other questions, I would like sure. to pose this question to all you guys, because I know J- James, I'm going to quote your favorite podcast to move the six podcast. I know Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks have talked that they see Drake London's ideal role as like a big slot. I think people start calling him power slot, these bigger slot receivers these days. I know a lot of people, the a guy I saw that Drake London isn't Mike Evans. He's actually a lot more like Cooper Cup when you look at their body types. And I just want to think, do you guys think that big slot role is ideal for Drake London at the NFL? So James, we'll start with you. Joe, you, you can answer this last. Uh, no, I'm kind of going to ignore your question, to be honest. I want to make three separate points. Okay. Just what I want to make is I feel like the whole who is better, like Garrett Wilson, Drake London thing, is irrelevant. Like, what matters is what the Jets are going to do. Like, I don't see how you could see the totality of evidence here and think that's pointing to Garrett Wilson. I know, Meeks, you've said that you think it's going to be Drake London, so I'm not talking about you specifically. I'm just saying this as an observation. Second thing is, I, from what I've heard, like, the Jets are very attuned to we need to make this Zach Wilson thing work. And when you look at how we thrived at BYU, it was basically throwing 50-50 balls. And like, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, optimal or suboptimal, the reality is, is that, you know, give him the guy who can help him do a little bit more of that in the NFL. And then third thing is, I think Zach Wilson was pretty inaccurate his rookie year. And I think he followed a lot of the same stuff they should at BYU in terms of the short to intermediate accuracy, you know, um, you know, skipping screen passes uh, like multiple times a game. Like, Get somebody who is an inaccuracy eraser like Drake London. So those would be the three points I would add. Sorry for not addressing your question, Meeks. 
Okay, so James just wants everyone to know that Drake London is basically radioactive Gunnar Romney, and that's who the Jets would draft. All right, Dylan, I'll go to you. Yeah, I think for me, I'm also going to kind of not necessarily dodge the question. I'll give you, I'm going to give you an answer, me, because I see you already getting frustrated. I, I don't think he's going to end up being that kind of slot guy. I think he's going to be a more of a do it all built into a, not necessarily a true X, but more working on the outside, but with the ability, obviously, to come inside at points. I don't think he's going to be just some big slot guy. I think he's just going to be very diverse and utilized kind of all over because I don't really think, I think as a whole, at least the smart play callers in the NFL have kind of moved away from a traditional style like where you're pigeonholing your receivers in those kind of capacities I think everybody kind of does a little bit of everything so I don't see London kind of being just a big slot guy I see him being outside a good amount of the time as well and allowing more to work more inside the slot and vice versa so yeah I don't know about that and then yeah I, I kind of agree with a lot of what James said I I'm really this isn't a shot at our fan base or anything or and really just the draft as a whole is it just needs to get here because I'm so tired of hearing three different people make the case for we need Jamison Williams we need Drake London we need Garrett Wilson because like you said James it's irrelevant at this point it's not what we think it's what Joe Douglas and the front office and the coaching staff think is his best to make Zach Wilson work and at this point if they believe that's Chris Olave or David Bell at this point, like some random receiver that they think can take Zach Wilson next level, then we just have to trust that that's the best choice. And because there's nothing we can do or say to change that. You know, Meeks, I'm going to try to answer your question since you guys went off on a bit of a tangent. I think that he's going to play inside and outside. And when you look at the Jets, like they play a lot of reduced splits where he will thrive in like a big slot role in this particular offense. And then even when you look around the league, they're playing a lot of their outside receivers in the slot. You even see Devontae Adams, you know, rocking the slot a lot of the time too. This way they can take advantage of those kind of smaller slot corners and say they want to put on a, a linebacker. These guys are too big for slot corners, too fast for linebackers, and they are dynamite in those particular situations. And if Drake finds himself in a role like that, he can be a thousand yard receiver playing almost exclusively there, but I still believe he's going to get moved around wherever he goes. So I, I don't think that's a knock on him is if people are trying to like sell it as a knock, I feel like it's just, kind of where the NFL is going in some ways. And I, I have no issue with, with a team that would bring him in and use him like that more than say I would, if I drafted him. Okay. So why don't you go here? Appreciate you answering my question. Unlike some other people, but uh, yeah, why don't you go on the rest of the questions? All right. So our next question is from Michael Christopher at big dogs, 1318. What two or three players would you trade back into the end of the first round for and why let's start with you, Dylan. So this goes against now everything that James stands for in his study. I already saw him shaking his head at the thought of this question even being prompted. And any listener who listens to the show would know that that would make him puke. Uh, but for me, it would be if you feel like, A, somebody's falling down, that's so great. And if I were at the board, I would trade for probably an offensive lineman that you fall in love with but in the other scheme of things it would be more of this saying that if you go Aquanu at four and Jermaine Johnson at 10 then at that point I think you're trading back in the first round to get a receiver and doing exactly what you set up to do last year with Elijah Moore but this time you don't bite the bullet you actually do it so I think that would honestly be it for me and I think that at that point in the draft you're looking at a, a Jamison Williams slide and Olave or a Jahan Dotson but I don't I don't necessarily think they are trading back into the first round unless they do that where they go O-line and edge or where they feel like they trade down from the first place and need to keep all their picks once they do that trade. So I kind of agree, but I could also see them moving up for potentially one of the safeties they love. 
I think that they went out and they wanted Marcus Williams. They missed out on him. I don't know if Daxton Hill or, or Cena are going to be there in the second round. Um, I love Jalen Petrie, but I feel like as of right now, he's probably going to start his career as more of a big slot and uh, an in-the-box type of player. Uh, Brisker's an interesting guy, so maybe they like him enough to wait till round two or even maybe he falls to round three. So I, I do think there are players who, if they even got the wide receiver, say at 10, they would be potentially interested in moving up for. You know, another guy, Tyler Lindenbaum, man. Like, I could see them definitely doing something like that as well. You know, really just fortifying themselves up front and, you know, giving Zach everything he needs from the perspective of running the ball as well, because I think that running game is really what's going to help him or propel him or really kind of just make his development go a little bit faster. So maybe I kind of answered the question a little sooner than I gave you guys the opportunity to Meigs and James, but I mean, are there a couple of guys that you're feeling that you would definitely move up in round one for depending um, on the situation, depending on the situation, of course. Um, yeah, of course, the situation is always important. And uh, in regards to Dylan's point about training up for one of the safeties, yeah, like if it gets to, if, you, if you think Dax Hill or Lewis Seen are there at like 27, 28, and you have to move a day three pick to get that fifth year option secure guy, I would have zero issues doing that. And I do think that walking away with one of those safeties is imperative for this defense. Um, just pacing how the board shakes. If you know if they go too early, they go too early. You know, to move hell or high water to get them. But if you know if you're in striking distance, you should pounce. But uh, I'm going to call my shot on a player that I think people think I'm lower on than most. But I just see the reality of the NFL. Tyler Winterbaum is going to fall out of the first round. I truly believe that. I think the NFL thinks Tyler Linderbaum can only play in a zone scheme. And if you want to look at all the Shanahan offenses across the NFL. So many of them do not have a first-round pick this year. Miami doesn't. The Niners do not. The Rams don't. The Packers and Bengals who do. One took Josh Myers in the second round. The other one took a design taking Karras to play center. They haven't added a single thing to their defense. They just added a three new offensive linemen. I'd be surprised if they went for the full four in Tyler Bomb with their first pick. The Bears don't have a first-round pick. And, I, and the two teams that are you really seeing with the Vikings? They're not going to take Kyle Linderbaum at 12. Why would you do that? I think he's going to be there for the Jets at 35. And I think they're going to take him. And that's my shot I'm calling. I'll be saying that next week as well. Kyle Linderbaum will be a Jet and the Jets won't have to trade up for him. Like I mentioned last week, if something like that actually happens, I will be showering myself in champagne. Jose Cuervo, Don Julio, 1942. Anything in my liquor cabinet is coming out. We're having a party. That's a five-bank plan draft. I... Kind of do disagree a little, though, Meeks. I feel like the Bengals could take Linderbaum. I feel like they still have a need at center, and I think he'd be perfect for their system. So I feel like if he gets past them, sure, I could see him falling to the Jets at 35. James, I'm almost afraid to ask. I think we're going to hear about the study right now, and I'm just kind of dreading the moment. What's the deal, man? What's going on? So I think in this draft, you can get the same type of player in the early second as you can get in the late first. Um, and so I would be inclined to, to not trade up. Um, categorically, I'm uh, generally against training up because, you know, every time it's done, the GM thinks that they know something that everybody else doesn't. And most of the time it yields negative, negative value. Um, but I think the players I'm looking at in the early second are Linderbaum, Nicobe Dean, who I think will fall to the second, Andrew Booth, um, maybe one of the safeties falls, you know, Daxon Hill, Lucene, like maybe gets to 35. Um, but I don't know. I'm just pretty categorically against trading up. But I do think that there's a lot of potential to get good value in the early second. Yeah. I feel like 
I agree with that. And I think maybe even trading down from one of those picks in the second round, it might be the best approach. Maybe they do that. And I don't know, maybe they pick up a certain running back. I don't know, Michael Megan, it could happen. Who knows? <laughs> we won't get too deep on that today. Like, see, this is what's going to happen. It's, it's going to be the Wario meme. Like you've won. The Jets are going to get KT, Drake London, and Tyler Linderbaum, but the Bills are going to draft Brees Hall at 25, and you're like, I've won, but at what cost? Like, you know that's going to happen. Yeah, well, you know, everybody thought that Brees Hall wasn't deserving a first-round pick. I said several times that I feel like it could happen, and maybe it will happen, and it looks like it's leading that direction, Meigs, and honestly, it's not a guy I'm going to want to see two times a year. The guy, he's an I, absolute Well, I, I believe it, Joe. I know that. <laughs> I know. Well, let's hope for, for whatever reason they don't do it, because it's going to make me – a little sad, even though, listen, if we get KT, right, Drake London and Linderbaum falls to 35, um, I think every Jets fan should be ecstatic, right? 100%. Moving on, yeah, but moving on to the final question. This is from Upstate Jets at Jets Upstate. Who are your favorite day three players? James, let me start with you, man. Yeah, so I just wrote down a list. I'll just run through it. Um, at running back, I like Zamir White from Georgia and Zaquandre White from South Carolina. I think Zamir White's more of a round five, six player, and Zaquandre Wright is like a borderline UDFA. Um, Danny Gray is a wide receiver who I like on day three. Speedster, I think a very good fit for this offense. Um, Isaiah Likely, tight end from Coastal Carolina, is somebody who the Jets have had some rumored interest in and has had a bad pre-draft process, so I think he probably goes round four, round five. Um, In terms of defense, uh, I like edge rushers, Jeffrey Gunter from Coastal Carolina, Tyree Johnson from Texas A&M, and Majai Sanders, who I know, you know, it's, it's hard to say where he's going to go, but I could see him falling based on the fact that he plays a four eye at like 230 pounds and had all these weight problems in the pre-draft process. In terms of linebackers, I like Malcolm Rodriguez from Oklahoma State as like a round five, round six guy. Um, I'm not sure where Brandon Smith from Penn State's draft stock is right now, but he's somebody you take a swing on day three, given the athleticism. Uh, corners, Mikel Wright from Oregon and Josh Job from uh, from Alabama. Job's more of a special teamer, I think more round seven. Mikel Wright is probably going to go like round five. Uh, he could be a depth guy. And then safeties, Quinton Lake from UCLA, Isaiah Polamau from USC, and Verone McKinley from Oregon. Uh, yeah. Joe, Joe, I just have to cut you off. Isaiah Pomau was hands down one of the worst players I watched from the Badlands draft guide. James, that guy's a career special teamer. Come well, on. Now. He's, he hits so hard. Dude, he, yeah, he can't <laughs> move. All right, listen, we had to hear Verone McKinley. We can't have a podcast without hearing his name. I'm glad we I'm just, of- I, I'm just happy James knows he's a day three player. That's that was that was my main takeaway. You know, that's a good point, Meeks. We got to give him some credit for that. I like the Malcolm Rodriguez pick. I feel like he gives me some Drake Greenlaw vibes. I'm, I'm really into that guy. I think if you could get him in day three, he's definitely a prospect that I'd be targeting. I love Zamir White. I don't know how much I love him in this offense, but he's one of my favorite running backs in this class. Um, other than that, you know, you know, I love Josh Job. I also think he's kind of maybe a better fit for a team like the Patriots playing a little bit more press man. And I think that's where he could actually thrive and become a much better player than just say a special teamer. I think that I actually am going to call my shot right here and say that he ends up on the new England Patriots. But other than that, I like your picks. I feel like that was a, a nice list of players that, you know, we should get excited to see if, if any of them actually end up on the Jets roster. Dylan, you look like you got something to say. Yeah, I got a couple of players I'm going to rattle off. I don't really have as many like position specific. Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez isn't a guy I had, but I loved him and really thought he showed out um, in the postseason for them. So really would 
not be opposed to the Jets taking him or him being one of those guys. But um, Haskell Garrett, a uh, defensive tackle from Ohio State, had seven and a half sacks last year. He's pretty good inside, outside. Could be a pretty sneaky good pick. Um, Cordell Volson, uh, he's an offensive tackle from North Dakota State, did not allow a single sack, 974 snaps of action, obviously. Competition decreased compared to what we're evaluating in other players, but still startling stat. Um, Alante Taylor, a guy I've talked about before, I'm really high on, a really good defensive back. Another defensive back who I think has fallen off a lot of people's radars and was an award winner in uh, Kobe Bryant himself. Not exactly that Kobe Bryant, but Kobe Bryant from Cincinnati, um, damn good player. And I think that he's going to make a team happy. Love it or hate it, I am going to say Verone McKinley. I mean, that guy does have some special traits that if he is in the right defense, he could have some success at the next level. Um, Pierre Strong from San Diego State. He's a guy that the Jets have brought in for a visit already. And I think he's a guy that they could look to go. He reminds me a lot of Elijah Mitchell, um, a guy that was in San Francisco. So maybe a connection there. Really high on him. And look for the Jets possibly trying to nab him. Garrett's another guy, too. He was a captain. So that's kind of sticks with Joe, Joe Douglas's trend. Um, and then the last guy, cause I could probably rattle a couple more names is um, I'm going to go with my guy, Kate Otten, because why not? Uh, Love Kate Otten, probably the best blocker in the entire draft. If the Jets took him in round four or five, I think that'd be an absolute home run. And we're both on the Alante Taylor, you know, uh, bandwagon. I feel like uh, he is one of these day three guys that I would love to see in a Jets uniform. He's perfect for like, you know, cover three, cover one. Looks could be a little bit better in off man. He kind of gets a little twisted up by some of these more twitched up wide receivers, but I still am pretty high on that particular guy. And the one the guy that you mentioned that I absolutely love, man, Pierre Strong from South Dakota State. This is the quintessential late round 49ers running back. That would be perfect for this offense. I love the idea of getting like a physical wide receiver like London to pair with a physical offensive line and then killing defenses with strong sub four, four speed when you are forced to play a little bigger because of how strong and physical the Jets are up front. He is definitely on my radar. One of my favorite prospects for sure. I'm glad you mentioned him. I actually uh, feel like you stole a little bit of my sunshine there, Dylan, but it's all good. Uh, Meigs, I feel like you got a whole bunch of guys you love too. What, what are you feeling? Yeah, I just want to comment on two things. Um, Pierre, if Dylan did bring up Pierre Strong, I was bringing up Pierre Strong. That's the stereotypical bargain bin Shanahan running back. I'm glad we're all in agreement on that. I, You asked me what's my favorite Jets running back room next year. It's Melvin Gordon, Michael Carter, Pierre Strong, and I feel very, very strongly about that. I just want to give Kate Odden a shout-out because I, I think he should go on day two of the draft. I do think he was very underutilized at Washington. Um, his play strengths got to get a little better. That's why I don't want to give him the best blocking tight end term. But a couple guys that I really, really like are Daniel Bellinger, tight end at San Diego State. I think that's the perfect tight end take at the top of the fourth round, be that third tight end, someone you can develop. I'm going to call my shot, and I think this guy's actually going to be on the Jets because he was a team captain. He's a local guy, and he tested very well. I think he has an over a nine RES score, and that's Bo Melton of Rutgers. He's very much in the Curtis Samuel mold. Giving me some nice speed, some juice, some good yak ability to this offense. Very much a Mike LaFleur, I think, type player. So I really like Bo Melton. Use one of those fourth round picks. A couple running backs I like. Tyler Algiers, he's going to, you know, I was accused of not liking him, liking him too much. I'm very happy that uh, Tyler, I think he's that's the perfect place for him. Um, I don't think this guy is going to be here, but Dane Brugler mocked Isaiah Spiller in the fourth round. Wouldn't hate that. Wouldn't hate that. 
And a couple of guys I really like. I really like Jalen Watson, the cornerback out of Washington State, as a nice day three dart throw. I think he has the confidence, the size, the length that you look for in a quarter. And, you know, if Bless Austin had more tools, I think, and no injuries, I think you can look, he could be that kind of player. And uh, yeah, I have this so many players running through my mind. I'll see Joe, Joe Mike back. Now. I might have a couple more. Yeah, Jalen Watson. We talked a little bit about him, Meigs. He handled Drake London pretty well. I think he's yeah, a good Much better than a lot of quarters did. Yeah, for sure. Um, who's the other guy? Daniel Bellinger. I like that pick too. I, I could, I guess you could say he's our guy. He's another he's one. Of really, he's another one of these really good blockers in the draft, and, and has an up some upside as a pass catcher too. He just needs to work on his routes, and I could see him having a solid NFL career. I, I like him as a day three target specifically for the Jets. I think he's a really good fit for this team. Um, who's another guy? Bo, Bo Melton. We've had a little bit of a love fest on Bo Melton, me and you, Meeks. I mean, he is like a 60-year senior, I believe, and pretty much eligible for Medicare within the next couple of years. But at the same time, like the film is pretty nice and I could see him in this system as well. Um, some guys that I like, um, I know that you're feeling, Meeks, wide receiver Eric Ezukanma. We've talked about him on the pod before. I call him the poor man's trailing Burks, but he may be the rich man's trailing Burks when it's all said and done, if he keeps refining his game. I mean, I think he's already a bit of a better route runner. Another tight end, Charlie Kohler from Iowa State. The more I watch Charlie, the more I like him. He knows how to attack leverage, and he might be the best route runner in the entire tight end class. Sterling Weatherford, this linebacker from Miami, Ohio, he gives me some Cam Chancellor vibes. Yes, I know. How dare I say such things? But yeah, listen, he played a lot of single high at over 220 pounds, which is very impressive, but I like him as more of an in-the-box type of safety or potentially a good running mate for Mosley at linebacker. He can cover, and he isn't afraid to lay the wood in the running game. I like this kid. I'm feeling him for the Jets potentially in that fifth-round range if they go that way. Uh, cornerback that I'm really into, uh, Cam Taylor Britt from Nebraska. Good athlete who hits like an absolute truck. He excels in zone and does a good job in press carrying wide receivers and vertical routes and getting hip-to-hip for the most part. I like his upside for sure. Cornerback Zion McCollum from Sam Houston State. This dude is an athletic freak. I think Dylan would absolutely love him. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Dylan. I think he's definitely worth a day three pick for sure. I am curious who he can become with the right coaching staff because I think that's all this kid really needs. And, you know, since we are potentially going to be looking for a replacement for McGovern, if Tyler Linderbaum doesn't fall, here's some centers that I like. I'm a big fan of Cole Strange from Chattanooga, high processor with good hands and a solid short set anchor. I could see him dropping to day three because of his age and frame. He's probably going to go on day two, but I can see him on day three too. We'll see what happens. Donovan West from Arizona State. Now, he needs to work on his place strength, but I think he's a very good fit for an outside zone and an intriguing developmental guy. I, I can see him finding himself in the starting lineup sooner rather than later. He's young too. I think in round five, that's a pick that I would really like. Now, this is a player that I probably higher on than most. Luke Fortner from Kentucky. Listen, he isn't a great athlete, and I do wonder how good of a fit he's in an outside zone, but he's a very smart player and plays faster than what his testing would suggest. He's familiar with the system, too, coming from Kentucky and could be an interesting day three pick. I started watching Zach Tom from Wake Forest. I love him as a potential center prospect. Now he's been playing a little bit more left tackle. And if we're looking at offensive tackles potentially to come in and be, I don't know if these guys are an insurance policy, if for some reason we stick with Beck and Fant, but maybe they could be starters in the future. Spencer Burford from uh, UTSA. I think it pronounced his last name, right? Is it Burford or Buford? Uh, Rashid Walker from Penn State. You know, uh, he stops his feet at the most inopportune times and it drove me crazy watching him. He made Zach Harrison look way better than he is. And that's a no-no for me. But if he can fix that, I, I think I can eventually see him cracking a starting lineup. 
And uh, you know what? I started watching a little bit more of Abraham Lucas. And I think a couple of people have mocked him to the Jets. It sounds like he might even go as early as round two, which I think is kind of crazy because, I don't know, it was a bit of a love-hate you know, relationship with me and Lucas as I dove deep. He opens up his gate way too early and needs to do a better job of staying square. Don't love how he matched up versus bull rushers either. So I wouldn't say he's his anchor is an asset. But I do like his upside from an athletic standpoint. And I think he's a, a really nice fit for an outside zone. Um, I could rattle off a, a whole bunch more players as well, but I think that's, you know, pretty much it. Unless there's some guys that, you know, you want to add, I know Nick Cross is an interesting safety who could be a single high guy. Uh, sometimes his angles remind me of Ashton Davis, which kind of made me a little you know cringe when I was watching the film, but. Oh, Joe, did you see my Nick Cross comp in the Badlands draft guide? No, I did not. LaRon Landry. LaRon Landry. Yeah. The workout warrior, LeRon Landry? Uh, yeah, the four, they both ran the 4-3-4. They're both rocked up. They both look like they're going to kill someone on the field, but the coverage sometimes is a little wonky. Yeah, that LeRon Landry. Yeah, I feel like Landry could have been a much better player if he just stopped going to the gym. You know, usually you want your guys to go to the gym and work mm-hmm. out and get in shape. He he kind of took that to a whole other level. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. His muscles, his muscles had muscles. It was disgusting, actually. Filthy. Jets legend. Speaking of working out, Joe Horning had another question, and this is what you call the perfect segue, Mike. He wants to know which one of us would have the best combine numbers. Oh, my money's on Dylan. Wow, actually, I was going to go probably James, um, but I, I wouldn't sneaky maybe Joe to put up a better bench than any of us. That low-key might be my – I would go good bet on Joe to get a better bench than any of us, but I think it would be a good battle between uh, James and I and – then I don't know. Sneaky Meeks 40 time. I don't know. He's got so, such an obsession. Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? I wouldn't put any bets on me right now, but in my prime, I, you know what? I, I think I might take you guys. I don't know. You know, 6'3, 200 plus pounds. I don't know. Can dunk a basketball? I don't know. Maybe we'll see what happens. Actually, I could dunk a tennis ball, not a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I always hit rim. It's all good. James, you know, your thoughts. I mean, I feel like I feel like you were quite confident in this question. Yeah, I mean, I just think – I think I would check the um, – like for a, like a cornerback, like the height, length, like very – I'm very lanky, lankily built. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that I would check those boxes nicely. And I'm pretty fast, but – No Roger McCreary arms on James is what he's letting you all know. Facts. No Roger McCreary arms for me. I, I firmly believe that if we got into a race right now, I would come in last place. I would I would put money on that. <laughs> I wouldn't throw it either. I would, I would try it out. But – Listen, guys, another great episode. One more episode before we hit the draft. We're probably going to do a mock draft of some kind. And again, just want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. It's been an awesome season. We're almost there. So happy that we could be here with you every week and give you some of that draft knowledge, share some takes, and just have a good time. So don't forget to subscribe to Badlands. Tune into Steven Zant and Steven Russo on TOJ Live. And of course, our very own Will Parkinson, who is always crushing it on the TOJ pod. Until next week, take care.